why not, guys? I mean, BS of the Suns podcast spilled over the hour mark. I figured folks were done running on the treadmill, so let's come back 10 quick minutes. Let's not PTI time each other with 30-second answers necessarily, but um, I wanted to go into two quick things. So we ended on the note of Rich Paul and Lon Babby negotiating, sending each other text messages, you know, uh, LOL back and forth with each other's contract offers. Let's talk about Adrian Wojnarowski. Um, you know, Woj bombs getting thrown left and right. He's the reporter for the NBA. He was on local radio talking about the Phoenix Suns and negotiations. Uh, first and foremost, did you guys get a chance to listen to that at all? No. All right. So Just barely in passing, but I was otherwise occupied, so I don't really remember a lot of specifically. All right, so here's here's kind of what stood out to me in terms of the quote, which was about the negotiation tactics of um, Rich Paul, I guess, more or less, not necessarily the Phoenix Suns, because it's talking about that side of it, the player side of it. It's not really a negotiating strategy to say max deal or nothing. Restricted free agency is about the agent going out and getting an offer sheet for his player. That's it. It's not about the Suns bidding against themselves. Utah didn't bid against themselves with Gordon Hayward. And Houston didn't bid against, didn't do it with Chandler Parsons, but their agents went out and got offer sheets and got max offer sheets. So I thought that was a real interesting take from the ultimate insider with the NBA, which is basically him saying, hey, you know what? Maybe Eric Bledsoe's agent didn't treat restricted free agency like he was supposed to. It wasn't about him getting the best deal from the Suns. It restricted free agency is about going out there and getting an offer sheet from someone else and keeping the leverage on your side of the, the fence there either sign this offer sheet that we just got or we're going to bounce and leave for the team that we just signed with. We saw it with Eric Gordon. Pelicans had to offer and match. The Mavericks lost Chandler Parsons this year. Utah kept Gordon Hayward. So on and so forth. The list continues. So when you hear that quote, Dave, I know you guys didn't get a chance to listen to it. What is your take on that when you hear that perspective from the ultimate NBA insider? Well, I think that's pretty interesting. And I think it coincides with everything that's been reported Lately, um, besides the Christy Haynes article and the Sheridan Hoops stuff, um, but basically is saying that the, the Suns are doing what they're supposed to be doing, and everyone's waiting to see when Wetzel's camp's going to start negotiating because it really it takes some negotiating in good faith. Sarver already said, as much as we like or dislike his comments, he wants to sit down and negotiate more, which means he's not have made his final offer. But they're not just going to throw offers at the wind. The Suns are not just going to say, oh, you didn't speak to me for four days. Here's $49 million. Oh, wait, it's been seven days. Here's $50 million. The Suns aren't going to do that. They're not going to bid against themselves. But they'll certainly negotiate as long as it's on a good faith. So I'm curious to see when this is going to start. I think just what he said there, it's pretty obvious that I it would be safe to assume that Gordon Hayward and Chandler Parsons are probably a lot happier with their agents than Eric Bledsoe is right now. I mean, that would make a lot of sense because like uh, the the quote says there from Woj, those guys went out and got the, the deals. They went and got the max offer sheets. They went out and got the money so that the team could either match or not. And, and they got their guys paid. And Rich Paul hasn't done that. And whether the deal wasn't out there, it didn't materialize, or whether he didn't work hard enough and maybe he could have and it didn't happen is uh, something that I don't know. But it, it has kind of seemed like he sat back and just expected that somehow the max deal was going to materialize. He, Like I said before, I think that he's got some kind of different motivation. He's got some kind of different perspective here. And maybe it's kind of like a, a parent who thinks that their kid in Little League is just the best 
and has this unrealistic perspective of, of, about how, how great they are. He's blinded by friendship, relationship. Um, he, he is friends with LeBron. LeBron's friends with Bledsoe. These guys are friends. They're, they're not just a complete business relationship, I don't think. So I think there's something there. And I think Woj's criticism of Rich Paul is very fair. So to continue on with Woj's quote, and I, I don't necessarily think we need to react to this a ton. This is just kind of, I think that it's it's more assuring for a Suns fan to hear this from Adrian Wojnarowski of Yahoo than to hear it from like Chris Sheridan or Chris B. Haynes or, or even, you know, Broussard and, and the cast over there at ESPN, the, the guys that are busy out there talking. But the final quote is, as he continued on, a lot of this, I think, is posture. The idea that it's so poisonous and they can't go back Everybody can go back. I don't buy that. But the Suns will have to make a decision on him going forward. If there was a number a little higher than $12 million a year that could get the deal done, I'd be shocked if they didn't do that. So with the Phoenix Suns and in, in switching over to him after he criticized Rich Paul in the group, not as poisonous as people are reporting on the Suns side uh, in terms of, like I guess, the overall relationship. And also that if the Suns just went a little higher than $12 million, that this would get secured and done and all this bad blood and irreparable relationships and, and all these crazy uh, things and the thesaurus getting thrown out the window there to describe how terrible this uh, relationship is. That all goes away. I mean, once once money is offered and money's on the table, all this stuff goes away. We all know that from almost every situation in life. As soon as the money's on the table, then we forget all the negative things we're saying about each other to try and get the money. Yeah, I totally agree. But it requires uh, Bledsoe's camp to be receptive first. So the Suns aren't going to throw money on the table when the Bledsoe folks aren't even sitting at the table. Very true. Very true. So... Let's switch it over to um, the click factory that is ESPN to get us clicking on stuff. Um, and we got the Western Conference forecast, the Eastern Conference forecast happened earlier in the week. So if you care about three teams that are going to finish above 500 and like 45 that are going to be awful but still make the playoffs, that's the Eastern Conference. But biggest thing that stood out to you guys with this, is it A, that the Phoenix Suns are regressing in the eyes of ESPN, three wins shy of what they were gonna what they did last year, which is forty five wins is what they're predicting, or the fact that the gap between the eight seed and the nine seed is four full games like they have it. it to me it almost seems like they're saying that the gap between eight and nine is a bigger deal this year than maybe what it was last year, where I think everyone was separated at the end of the season by a game or two at the end. Well, obviously this is uh ridiculously early prediction session because I I still would be very surprised if the the roster, including Bledsoe, was actually the opening day roster. I, I maybe not very surprised, but a little bit surprised. I, I've been kind of surprised that McDonough hasn't made any kind of moves trades like he did last year. And so I I'm sure that he's still looking at a lot of options with that in terms of uh, the roster taking a different shape. With what they have now though based off of some possible regression, based off of a trade-off for Channing Fry to Isaiah Thomas. I, I, I'm not going to even bring Tolliver into the situation. The Suns can only play so many players. Uh, Alex Land is a uh, complete unknown whether he's going to provide anything. And some of the other teams in the Western Conference did get a little bit better. So I, I can see just by those types of situations why the Suns could be just as good as last year but still – not win as many games. I don't think that ESPN, the 210, that it's not the 300, it's the 210, are really that 
much scrutinizing, have that much inside knowledge of the Suns franchise to, to know some of the sticks statistics about how the team performed when Bledsoe and Dragic were both healthy and on the court together, the 23 and 11 versus the 25 and 23. So I, I don't think that entered their consideration. So that may make their number a little bit low, but it, it's hard to say with some of these things. The, the Pelicans are a team, for instance, that I think has a, a chance of making a huge jump this year if they can stay healthy. And this whole conglomeration also managed to pick that no team in the NBA would win more than 58 games. And the last time at least one team didn't win 60 games, besides the strike-shortened season, was the 2000-2001 season. So you have so many hands in the pot that it, it, this is like some kind of bland generality, and, and obviously things are going to be wrong. Yeah, because last year they predicted the Suns to be worse than the West with 22 wins. So, yeah, they can be wrong there on ESPN, even when you've got the wisdom of crowds of 200 guys gals because they're just going based off of, of what they think the the off season what the what they think the off season did for each team when there's a lot of biases toward it I mean I'm looking at this list here and I'm actually seeing them predict the Minnesota Timberwolves at 15 and that's simply and last in the West and that's simply because you know trading Kevin Love for the last two number one picks in the draft is clearly a rebuilding move, just like they predicted for the Suns a year ago. Clearly, the Suns are rebuilding, so let's make them a 20-win team. Well, they're doing the same thing with Minnesota this year, and I actually wouldn't be surprised if Minnesota wins nearly as many games next year if everything breaks right for them as they uh, did last year when nothing broke right for them. So, um, I don't know. I don't put a whole lot of weight into this. I think it was pretty lazy. The top nine teams are actually the same nine teams that um, finished the season two months ago. So there's a little bias there. They're predicting nobody from the playoffs drops out and nobody missed the playoffs comes in. And they've moved around a couple of the lottery teams, and that's about it. So I don't put much stock into the ESPN rankings right now. So for the listening audience there, that's Dave basically saying that Kevin Love is going to have the same impact as Rudy Gay last year. And um, we're going to have a, a lot of you know fun things talking about how the Patrick Ewing theory and they got rid of Kevin Love and they're the same exact team, if not maybe better. You're, you're saying that this is still going to be a decent team next year, maybe. Potentially. I don't know. I really don't. I mean, they do have uh, oh, we, we there. Speak, and... We speak in definitive nature here in August about the NBA season for 2014 and 15, Dave. It's the only way we talk about it. We're going to hold you to this. <laughs> All right. So, no, no, I, I, I wasn't expecting a retort on that. I was just being uh, being sarcastic there a little bit with it. So, all right. So, extra sessions here, even more BS of the Suns. Um, final question for you guys, the most hard-hitting one of all of them. I have my answer. Um, the summer is coming to an end, more or less. Uh, I'm going to go and enjoy The Giver movie because that was part of my uh, educational childhood coming up when that comes out this weekend. Dave and then Jim, best movie you guys saw this summer in theaters? The best movie this summer. Wait, wait. Ooh. I was supposed to go first, Jim. Come on, man. Oh, I, I'm Dave now. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, okay. You be Dave. Go ahead. I'll be Dave. You can be Jim. You, you, you go right. first. <laughs> wait. Go ahead, Jim. I'm confused. Go ahead, Jim. Because <laughs> Dave, Dave, you're so nice. Thank you. I'm still go ahead, Chris. Go ahead, Jim. I, I, I want to find out what movie I like. I'm still Chris, right? <laughs> is that is that Okay. 
You get to be Brian Giverman. Worst oh. possible person you could have made me. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, let's see. Okay, I actually think the best movie I saw this summer was Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's just because I saw it last week, and I'm drawing a blank on some of the others I've seen. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> So, but I actually uh, thought it was really, part, really good. The, the first part was Awesome Mix Volume 1, and then this is Awesome Mix Volume 2, over time, even more BS. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, since, since you already went with that, I'll, I'll go a different, uh, in a different direction, even though I, I really like that, and that probably was my favorite, too. And I'll go with Sex Tape. I thought that movie was completely hilarious. Very, uh, very adult-oriented, not a... One of those like NC seventeen movies. Not a lot of kids. Yeah, you didn't take your kids to it. I didn't. You know, I, I, I thought about it, and, and then I recommended it to the sixteen year old afterwards. I was like, "You've got to watch this. It's so great." No, I said, no, that's not not that's not going to be a, a red box for the kids either. Well, that's okay. I once took my kids who were in the uh, nine to eleven or seven to eleven range to um, the Meet the Fockers. And that was pretty inappropriate. So, uh, you know, you can slip into inappropriate movies unexpectedly sometimes. So I wouldn't have held it against you there, Jim. Well, I mean, a movie called it's Meet funny. the Fockers versus a movie called Sex Tape. I think you know what you're getting with both of those. Yes, it does. <laughs> See, here's a parallel, though. When I was young, when I was young, I tricked my grandmother into taking me to child's play. And she didn't know, based off what it was, that it was like Jesse <laughs> and all this in a horror movie. And I was like, I was like nine years old. And uh, nine, ten, somewhere like that. Pretty, pretty young. I tricked her into that. And then years later, when my daughter is around the same age, a little bit older than I was then, she tricks uh, somebody into taking her to Ted because that was supposed to be a kid's movie because it's about a teddy bear and all this. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. And so I took her to the movie. It didn't quite work out so great, but that's... uh, like you're saying, sex tape, that's pretty hard to be like, oh, this should be okay for a kid. But Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, that, I mean, one, that one's kind of a giveaway. Based, well, based on the commercials. For all you adult listeners, <laughs> adult listeners to this podcast, I recommend that movie. Anybody who is not an adult, it was a terrible movie. Go watch Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, if you're, if you're not, <laughs> not NC-17, then it's not. So so basically what you're saying is sex tape, I mean, I based on the commercial, that is a movie about clouds and how clouds could do things and not do things. Um, but... Yeah, so we got Guardians of the Galaxy, which is like that that male teenager demographic, and then we got Sex Tape, which is that adult demographic. I'm gonna throw out How to Train Your Dragon too. I think it was one of the coolest cartoon sequels. I took my kids to see that. And um, if you want to watch a really good Planet of the Apes sequel, leave about 45 minutes before the actual runtime is supposed to end. The first like hour and 40 minutes of that movie were tremendous, and then Michael Bay and the movie Cliche Machine and a bunch of nonsense kind of took over at the end of that movie. It was really awesome. I thought it was going to end, and then I looked at my clock and go, they got 45 minutes to find a way to ruin this, and they yeah. did. And they did. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on the Planet of the Apes, too. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. The way you described it was like my experience, too. I do have to say I miss seeing those uh, animated movies like How to Train Your Dragon 2 now that my kids are too old to want to go see them. So I envy you still being in that realm. I'm just going to say this, and uh, I'm the editor, so I can censor this or not censor this, but Toothless is a badass. That's all i got to say with that movie. So anyone that has kids or seen How to Train Your Dragon, you know what that means. Um, we're going to we're gonna cut this off. We're done. We're, we're done with overtime. That was enough BS for this time around, and we'll be back next week, hopefully with guests. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, that's it, guys. Thanks for hanging out for some more, even more BS of the Suns. 
All right. Thanks.